everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Hi, Matt. My feet are pruning. Jessica Jones, episode 109, a.k.a. Sinbin, is brought to you by Mistake Cart Pastrami Fries on 41st Street. Definitely more satisfying than Kilgrave Slim Jim. You won't throw these in the garbage. Wow, that just had everything. Uh, and with that, Pete, it's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? We begin, Matt, with Kilgrave waking up in the hermetically sealed, water-filled room uh, where Jessica tells him, tells Kevin to smile and creepily throughout this episode to excellent effect on the aluminum or uh, shall we say stainless steel walls is the uh, the film clips from the uh, videos of his childhood and others childhood as well playing on the wall Um, the the line of dialogue here be a big boy for mommy and daddy kevin and i love the use of the word kevin it's such a humanizing thing and then jessica adds to that this conceit that kilgrave is a manufactured name that's that's turning into the wind of the comic book there that you know to call it this ridiculous thing that i don't i mean i don't think that the average fan off the street who who didn't know anything about the comic book background or even comic book origin of these characters I don't think the Kilgrave is maybe as quote unquote clunky a, a, a bad guy name, but just the fact that the fact that they use this obviously bad guy name to the strength of this is how conceited he is that he wants to have this this awful name, you know, they know his name and it's Kilgrave. Really, really nice touch. Uh, as is this continued, you know, pinky out, nose and chin pointed high reminder that he hasn't killed anyone. Yeah, uh, I mean, Murder Corpse was already taken, but what we hear, and it's done very quick the first time, it doesn't resonate till a little later in the episode, is the father saying in the recording, you don't see Eric cry when he goes into the sin bin. And this back and forth, this tete-a-tete here about the commands uh, we had discussed in our previous podcast, Matt, the comic origin that uh, Kilgrave's powers that you needed to be in physical proximity uh, that was a pheromone issue still not determined in this canon whether that is necessarily the case, but that she is behind the glass, that she can't be commanded here. Control is the central idea of this episode in addition to a major theme of this series, but it has completely shifted for the lion's share of this episode in Jessica's favor. Absolutely, and we get the tease of the red button. What does it do? Uh, But before we get to its first uh, demonstration, uh, we have just this impassioned plea here from Kilgrave saying he came across a woman being beaten. That's Jessica. Of course he fed her, he clothed her, he cared for her. He made love to her. Uh. And it's just this, I commend the show for keeping him so consistent as somebody who 
he's so committed to his view of things and his rightness and and you want to buy into it for a second and thank goodness at that point she pushes the red button and he gets his uh he gets his shock courtesy of this uh, system set up by simpson it's nice to have at least who she refers to as a former spec ops interrogator we don't quite know whether he was doing interrogation or not but nonetheless kilgrave is impressed of her resolve here and again that uh reinforcement of her control we speed across town to a speeding car under the elevated platform uh trish is driving a badly uh bruised bleeding simpson um who needs to see and only see a dr kozlov um, he is not on staff at Metro General, but that where, uh, you know, we're headed, um, you know, she's concerned he's going to bleed out. There's talk. Did the police see you? you didn't. And we get confirmation that not only is the neighbor, Mrs. DeLuca, dead, the suicide bomber, but the boys, Matt, his boys are dead. R.I.P. Nameless boys. <laughs> Victims of the one episode contract. Um, but at least at least the exposition makes it clear that that's not a story arena that we're going to be returning to, at least with I mean, obviously, the the, the neighbor, we <laughs> we knew she was uh, she was done for. But just that, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for the boys. Uh, he stresses, uh, as does Trish, that they want to see Dr. Kozlov. Uh, he's not on the staff there. And Pete, I was sure just having. You know, as spoiler pure as I am, Pete, sometimes I hear things. I thought that somebody else was going to help in this episode, but I guess not, because uh, as we learn later on in the episode, they do get Dr. Kozlov and not somebody a little more uh, a little more familiar with some of these goings on at the at the edge of good and evil. But blind to justice, you might say. Arriving at the hospital, the one doctor who is helping them has never heard of Kozlov either put a pin in that one we go back to the hermetically sealed room where the crying continues as Kilgrave paces I thought what Tennant does with his body language in this episode in a a room where we can't always hear him was really really well done and what we are hearing at this time Matt is some Mandarin uh, as a child is stitched up Then we see a little girl who's looking down and Jess clicks on the remote there. And then there's another image where she's crying and her legs are now in traction. Yeah, it's it's rough to see. Um, The the assumption is that uh, Jessica's torturing Kilgrave, torturing in a in a low impact sense but torturing him nonetheless with this footage of these children being experimented upon the implication clearly that they were um they were doing the the experiments were happening under his parents um and jessica asks if reva knew about all this and that's why he wanted to kill reva not being the only lab rat here uh she also wants to know where these other children are did you kill them uh, or did you never think to look for them? Are you afraid of the competition? And we're going to certainly talk about these children a little later on in our cryptology segment. Pete, maybe one day 
one day in these Marvel movies and TV shows. They could have a they could have a story about a school where there are stuff <laughs> such youngsters gifted, maybe perhaps you know led by a sagacious gentleman. But that's 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 for the future, Pete. Well off in the future, in the present of the story, Hogarth arrives and Kilgrave. I'm saved. I'm saved. And it it, <laughs> it, it occurred to me in the course of this episode that. There is an acting challenge for David Tennant that perhaps we didn't take into account, which is Kilgrave basically has only three modes. There's when he's the the I'm just a little abused puppy dog, and there's him being sadistic, and then there's him just kind of being kind of blithely, you know, I'm just going to give my orders and everything goes the way I want. Um, he still is able to pull so much out of that. And uh, we certainly see that here as he's, you know, I'm saved, I'm saved. No, she's 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 crazy, you know, and, and all of this where, again, you want to kind of buy into what he's saying for the for, for the briefest of seconds. Never has Jaron Hogarth's character been better used in this series, talking about how. Uh, in addition to disapproving of Jessica's actions, that the confession will be inadmissible, that it will be under duress, that they could indict her for this, that um, they will, uh, you know, not uh, be able to get anything to stick here, uh, that Jess uh, gets to talking to Jerry and says here that, uh, you know, if you let him out and you breathe the same air, he's going to make you put your head through a window. I wondered if that was just a, a little nod to the pheromone thing, although the show is better served by just saying you need to be in the same room as him and hear his natural voice. Speakers don't work. You need to be by him. Just it, that that's good enough. Um, I like to... that where we're at, it, it can serve. And I don't need anything more than that. It's right. not what we're crying out for. That's how well-written this show is at this point. That, that we don't need the explanation. That's the canonical reason. You hear the voice and you're in his you know, physical presence. You, you've got to do what he says. And speaking of it being well-written, you kind of sense in the writer's room, they're saying, okay, well, we got to kind of juice up the pressure here. So fine. The DA wants to offer Hope a deal. 15 to 20 years, you know, that's that's a, a third, half, whatever it might be of what she might spend in prison. Hey, that's a good idea. And then, well, how are we, how are we the writing staff, going to – gonna? why would the DA do that? Well, it'll stop the crazies from coming out of the woodwork. And yeah, it's just the, – the public pressure and, and the bad publicity. Okay, you know, if, if, if we're going to accept that a guy can manipulate – you with just the sound of his voice we also have to accept that public pressure on the uh the nypd and the legal system there would lead them to uh to cut a plea deal and it's been a little while and these things always flare up you know for for the immediacy and then kind of shift to the back burner and but there's, there's probably other problems. what like there's probably like seven eight hundred murders a year in new york at this point i mean down from a couple thousand in the I late 80s so like significantly lower than that right now but uh jaron has other problems matt than just keeping people getting people out of jail she sure does she's been she's got her own problems those marriage problems and of course jessica isn't helping you really sense that jerry had jerry had been playing this game of marital chess or at least divorce chess 
thinking that Jessica was this was this piece, you know, ready to be used and was on the board and Wendy didn't know and just Jessica isn't helping. And furthermore, in this scene, Jessica just walks walks off and Hogarth is now on uh, Kilgrave Kilgrave babysitting duty. And the clock's ticking. We've got this 48 hour window. Jess says she can get a cop there in three and you're thinking Simpson. But it's a different cop, Matt. Pete, it's Detective Clemens, and he uh, there he is at that uh, at that food stand, getting himself some lunch, and uh, he clearly is trying to walk away from the entire situation. References made to how everyone believes it was just this really odd prank uh, by Lieutenant the, Evans. Yeah, and it's 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 kudos to this actor for kind of showing this tension where everybody believes this and this is the story everybody is telling but something doesn't quite sit right but this is what everybody's going with and you know that kind of Kilgrave after effect is not something that we've seen for the relatively casual act which occurred in the police station I mean guns to people's heads is a huge deal but you know ultimately no one was hurt um ultimately no one was killed. Uh, so the realization, or shall I say the rationalization, Matt, that if this came out that a bunch of brave cops put guns to their heads, he says, you know, it's it's going to trigger uh, some serious, serious problems. They'll be considered suicide risks. And plus, Matt, lethal weapon has two years till he gets his full pension. I'm getting too old for this stuff. Um. But again, he's happy to keep on walking, but uh, that's when Jessica announces his address. She's ready to give it to Kilgrave if Kilgrave doesn't, uh, you know, if he doesn't really pose this threat. And a great line here from Detective uh, Clemens, Googling my address does not make you a good detective. Yeah, good detectives use evidence. I like that he calls the bluff. Paper thin characters on other comic shows bend to stuff like that you know when it when stuff about emails is thrown in their face you know from real world cases dun, dun, dun. with that we uh, cut to hogarth getting a counter offer from wendy wendy now wants 90 percent and uh, another great line if i get disbarred you get 90 percent of nothing and the whole time pete kilgrave is watching her um presumably the microphone is off but the, the addition in this episode to the Kilgrave character, uh, and this isn't any, certainly any great revelation because it's stated by Jessica a bit later in the episode, but he is good at what he does without the powers uh, as well as with them. Um, and uh, nice interplay here from Hogarth and Wendy. Hogarth notes that she footed the bill while Wendy, you know, brought medicine to the poor and and, you know, kind of. You kind of sense that tension there of the the perceived nobility of medicine. Not that it's not that it isn't, but just kind of medicine high, 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 and lawyers low, low, low. But the ones bringing in all the money, and again, Kilgrave is slowly inserted into the scene, noticing more and more. And then Pete, he knocks on that window. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out though. Uh, Wendy passed up field work for Jaron. She pulled double shifts to pay for law school. Um, that's what makes what they're arguing over between the two of them. Wendy still has that high ground, despite 
you know, 90% is just out of this world, but that she would attempt to resent uh, Wendy for helping the poor. That's really over the top. And there is that sympathetic aspect here. Wendy's really hurt by what happened, but uh, nobody can take advantage of that kind of stuff like Kilgrave can. He needs a good lawyer. She'll give him the referral. Um, and it's, you know, this time of the episode and kudos to the writing staff in this episode for not going the narrative short route, albeit the possibly delicious one where she was going to get in there and align herself with um, Kilgrave. The uh, discussion here, how well they had been cohabitating uh, Kilgrave and Jess, it was going great. She just snapped. Well, Pete, for me, the key to the scene, though, is when, you know, right after asking for a lawyer and she says no, his line, you know, Pete, I'm going to clean it up a little bit because I'm, I'm not only spoiler pure, I'm pure of language, but you know, he says witches, right? And Again, the the restraint on the writing staff is to be commended here because Jerry probably recognizes that from the text that she got from, quote-unquote, Jessica a night or two ago when Jessica was blowing her off. So in her mind, I'm imagining, she has said, if he, if he is able to get... If this is true, if his powers are actually true, uh, you know... And he's that manipulative. He's even in Jessica's head, even when he's not apparently controlling her. This is the guy who was texting with me, who had her phone. This just smells wrong. Um, and I like that they don't sit and go, what? That was you. Let me take out my phone, close up to the phone, so on and so forth. Um, but anyhow, with that, Pete, it's, uh, it's, it's a tempting offer. He won't repeat it for the camera, though. And with a shrug, he just starts to walk away because Pete, he's got plenty of place to walk to. He just shrug and I'm going to walk to the other side of the cage. We wind up back at Metro General with Trish and Simpson. <clears throat> and obviously the condition here as Dr. Kozlov only has privileges and hasn't yet shown up for Simpson is deteriorating, but he's adamant that he will come. Uh, she wants other doctors to look at him and he won't allow that. And he talks about the sealed room, that that's the only place that Jessica could have taken Kilgrave and that it's Trish that needs to end this, that it's way too dangerous for them. That's why she's got to be the one to kill Kilgrave. And then, of course, Matt, Dr. Kozlov shows up. And this is the beginning of something where I think as as we're watching it for the first time, as I have, as uh, you know, I'm sure, sure Pete has all the answers at this point. But <laughs> this is where something that started to not fit only starts to not fit more. And you go, wait a minute, though. When we get done with this episode, we only have four episodes left. You know, we're, we're kind of in the home stretch here. But we're doing something mysterious here. Kozlov arrives. Mystery, mystery. He calls uh, Simpson sergeant, almost with irony. Uh, he didn't expect to hear from him again. Simpson says he wants back in. And all of a sudden you're sitting here going, wait a minute. We are this far into this show. I don't, I don't understand what's going on right now. Is uh, the team ready? This is Marvel television, though, Matt. And, and 
do we need to tie up a narrative in this series or even in this season with a tight little bow? I'm going to say no. Definitely not. And I mean, it's this notion of, I mean, again, as has been said in the last couple episodes, there are multiple opportunities in this episode where this, where any of these characters might have said, and I successfully shoot Kilgrave in the, in the head, the end. You know, we're not getting this Kilgrave thing resolved till episode 12 or 13. That's how a season works. That's how a story arc works. Fair's fair. Um, but the notion that we're starting something new, I just, I love it. I love the, the boldness of it. Um, and, and it adds some unexpected zip into into the story. At that point, Pete, Simpson dismisses her, telling her that she, Trish, has to be the one to end it. And uh, the story then transitions back to the uh, back to the warehouse with the hermetically sealed room. Jess has a bag. It's not clear at first what is in there. And uh, Kilgrave has pruny feet. But uh, they talk about the uh, con- the evidence they need here from Kilgrave that Jess is going to head in, that she's going to tick him off. And that uh, Hogarth is going to man the button there. Uh, this is uh, our boy Chekhov's button, Matt. Pete, she's going to person the button. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, I have to admit, I was surprised that Jessica was going in there. Uh, I I get the power of the button and that it can shock her and whatnot. I mean, to me, it's it's given her superpowers relative to the strength of the room uh, I would have thought it to be a uh, it wouldn't be the decision I would have made if I was in that room helping them now from a writer's room point of view okay just to get in there with him fine you just write around him saying now smash everything and kill that lady you know like that kind of thing um but Jessica starts preparing to go in there uh with kind of delivering video evidence uh you know kind of um of sound mind body as they make the tape then goes into the double sealed room and the tension of the scene of course is that uh is that this question will jessica be turned by him will she break through the the glass uh she gives him food which great line the food which smells fast um She's also unafraid of touching him, beginning a storyline here, Pete, of her kind of uh, taking back her power, the power that she has, uh, that he has over her. And uh, at that point, Pete, he, she turns her sexuality back onto him. This is a rough scene physically. And on top of it, her calling out his manhood, the, the references to sexual prowess and performance man this pushes the envelope but in the best dramatic way and and some of the abuse she dishes out on him here certainly uh you know to the subject matter but a lot of this happens uh in in slow-mo and then finally once uh you know Hogarth has left and it's Trish to flip the switch there the, the slow-mo of them both falling down um yeah I mean it, it's very very effective it's not an easy watch though it's not particularly when you factor in 
you know, she's mocking him, be a big boy for mommy and daddy. As as flippant as the Slim Jim line is, and not to not to call too much attention to that moment, but it is within the context of her noticing he is excited from this from being smacked around by this incredibly powerful woman who could who could crush him like a watermelon that has led to physical excitement which in and of itself is just mind numbingly shocking i mean she holds lethal power and what is he used to eh, nobody really has lethal power over me We're, we could be a good five minutes away from you know i mean it's just somebody who's so so caught up in his own power and i don't mean the magic special false power it's just the power of his his charisma his maleness his whatever that that um this is a this is a, a good time uh he says he wouldn't hit a woman he wouldn't hit her back uh and just boom she comes back the show keeping itself despite all these fictional trappings the show keeping itself on message her response is that he would rape one though the thesis remains the same despite what had to be in the writer's room, the the temptation to fully flip things around in Jess's favor. And she comes out and says it in the following scene as the video is uh, replayed and Kilgrave is asleep there. That Jess says he didn't even have to tell me to do anything and he had all the control. Even I feel sorry for him. And as she's drinking and the baby is crying and we see the date in full for the first time, it was June 29th, 1985, that Kevin was having this procedure done. Trish proposes leaving him, locking the door, never coming back. But Jessica tells um, Trish that uh, Hope should take the deal here, um, that, uh, you know, Trish has enough money to get them far away, uh, that Kilgrave has her attention. He's in control and won't let her go. Uh, but Jess doesn't want to see Hope lose 20 years. And this is where, you know, Simpson vis-a-vis Trish is trying to talk her out of it. This, this is not your responsibility. Jess hears her boyfriend talking, not her boyfriend. Trish confirms here. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting play between friends and a true dilemma when despite having this guy in a cage, he seems to have them where he wants them. And it's clear in this scene too, that the two of them are, are party to torture, uh, albeit, you know, it's low impact. It's not the, the worst kind of stuff you've ever heard, but it's this contemporary type of torture that, you know, in the previous decade we were told was so necessary. This kind of mental stuff, keeping him awake, that all of that seems familiar uh, and seems like things we've heard from other stories, truer stories. Um, but it's our two heroes that are doing it. It's our, it's our you know, the, the one that's got her name on the show. It's the, the one who's uh, bounced back from... from personal assault it's trish who's put her life back in order after after the wrong kind of mother um and they're the ones just kind of sitting there letting it happen and and causing it to happen the shared backstory with trish with a bad mother and Kilgrave with at this point in the story awful parents is an interesting 
identification for that character, particularly given what happens at the conclusion of this episode. Um, but that if these parents are still alive, which is floated for the first time in this scene as well, that, uh, they could try to turn this into something is an interesting idea before we join Hogarth in her office late at night. And in fact, it's, it's funny that here the plot, you know, turns from the first half to the second half. And if only a PI could find his parents. And again, the show really making use of the fact that Jessica does have these, uh, these PI skills, but indeed Pete, Hogarth at the office. Uh, Pam has intercepted an initial salvo from Wendy that could have gotten by the interns. And the pressure on this new relationship uh, is such that that things are starting to unspool a bit. Uh, Pam is an accessory after the fact. Nonetheless, Pam wants to be part of Jerry's life, including uh, her life as the best lawyer in the city. And then Pam gets a little more uh, persuasive there. Yeah, the the word having the uh, the jury in Jerry's hand uh, never had more of a double meaning. But um, I like that they increase the uh, the stakes with Pam here. That she's issuing the ultimatum. That she talks about the Jerry that she fell in love with, and that now Hogarth has pressure on all sides before Pam was very understanding. Uh, now she's growing impatient and clearly from a sexual standpoint, uh, she has something that Jerry wants to continue to have. And I, and we're about to say, I say with all salaciousness removed, it was such fascinating writing to have this tack that Pam takes where she's, complimenting i won't say stroke complimenting jerry's ego by having jerry please her it's just such a switch of things and the dialogue adds to that the jerry i know takes what she wants uh when she comes back i'll be ready for her so it's this weird like you want to be in control you want to have the power you want to be the arbiter of good and bad and the and and the giver of things including pleasure well let's do a little bit of that right now except you're not strong enough for that. Uh, kudos to the character of Pam there, because I didn't quite I didn't quite um, see her as a three-dimensional enough character. Um, certainly she does she does uh, try and try and cut a certain profile in the third dimension, but um, I like that they give this moment to Pam where either for her own duplicitous purposes or just to give her partner what her partner needs, which is, you know some bad tasting medicine that's how she's going to do it by saying you know oh if only you were stronger but you're not bye bye we catch up matt with Kilgrave, who is so hungry he's eating fast food and smearing ketchup on the glass there as jess and trish pour over evidence um jess starts to note about the Kilgraves. Uh, are these researchers, scientists, neuro, question mark, is written on her little pad, pediatrics, British, question mark, unquestionably British, uh, professors is what she underlines there before there is a knock. Indeed, Kilgrave has written on the window, help me. 
Uh, and Jessica's response, you don't see Eric crying when he goes in the sin bin. Uh, that Pete, that was the first time I had caught the line. And of course I'm saying, hey, who is Eric anyway? Pete, is it Eric Lencher, the the, the master of magnetism? <laughs> nope. It's like some rugby player. I guess that's a clue enough, but tantalizing Pete, tantalizing. Yes. Uh, to to repeat it there for the second time, Jess does. And then to hear the father say it again in the clip. Is this a brother? Was this another kid in the study? Nope. Sinbin, rugby, some connections here, some sleuthing revealed. It baby Kilgrave, Matt, maybe even worse than using the name. Had a childhood hero, Eric Brantford of the rugby club at the University of Manchester. Now, Pete, I understand that's one of those uh, non-oblong football games that they play in other parts of the world. Um, But uh, with a quick call to the UK, Jessica is able to get some professors' uh, names Albert and Louise Thompson. Professor Davies is the one that gives up Albert and Louise Thompson. Indeed, indeed. And uh, he, of course, says never call here again. So at least he appreciates his own sense of narrative efficiency. Now we have some names. Pete, it's a big world. I'm sure it'll take a couple episodes to find Albert and Louise (laughs) Thompson. But on this island of Manhattan, though... We cut to the prison where Hope is rejecting. Whoa, the- whoa, 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 whoa. There were, there were tantalizing details, Matt. There were. That's true. Reference made to, uh, to the, the experiments on children, plural, which, of course, we knew about. There was uh, them running out on the, the grant money. Anything else you want to it, cover, Pete? In 1988, and that uh, the program was aborted, and I was in no way associated with them which we know is never the case it's always just two people acting on their own you know not under the direction of anybody else to make uh you know super soldiers or whatnot well pete from super soldiers and their their lofty heights to uh the prison where hope is uh is being held hope hopeless rejecting the idea of a uh, false guilty plea deal, not seeing the uh, not seeing the silver lining in that fifteen to twenty year cloud, and uh, Jerry stresses uh, that the real world is about taking the life you have, not the ideal one, and fighting to keep it. Pete, I almost sense here that Jerry might be talking about somebody <laughs> other than Hope. Um, I'm going to lay back now on my couch and page Doctor Freud and hear what he has to say. Yeah, I. I do have to take issue with how over the top her speaking to her personal situation was in this scene. Um, you know, uh, hope wants to talk to Jess at the beginning and at the end of this conversation. So narratively, what did it do? Reaffirm that Hogarth is in a tight spot and wants the narratively convenient thing for hope to take the plea deal, do 20 years and that's it. Uh, you know, so we'll we'll take him to task here. Um, well, you you, know. you can take her to task. I'm a little. It's funny how we continue to split on the heads or tails nature of Jerry. In that, my I mean, look, is Jerry being informed by her own experience? Sure. Is she speaking a bit by her own about what's going on in her personal life? Sure. From the objective lawyer view, I mean, Jerry's there to best protect 
her client in the eyes of the law. And the eyes of the law does not have contingency for these powered people. I don't know, Pete, maybe in the spring the international community could come together over, oh, that thing. that It was so awful, Pete. Remember last year what happened in Sokovia? We'll see. I um, it wasn't, wasn't last year, man. It was, it was May. It, it, Pete, you know what? So much has gone on since then. I'm hearing rumbles of some of those people having different points of view. It feels like it was a year ago, but you're right. Um, I think that what, I mean, look, I'm no legal expert, but I think that what Jerry is advocating here for somebody who did shoot her parents and whose situation of duress is out there and, you know, we understand as the audience, but is, is from a legal point of view and a public point of view is, is really dodgy to get, 20 years sentenced 15 with good behavior for shooting your parents in cold blood because there was maybe something else going on in your head at the time that's not a bad legal that's a legal victory right there because that's keeping her out of either life in prison i i'm sure new york doesn't do the death penalty anymore but you know the the life in prison with never getting out to 15 years from now congrats hope you're you know what not 40 yet and you start to you get to start your life again that's a sound legal deal from from the lawyer's point of view back at our sin bin for the episode trish is printing photos and one woman's face spits out of the printer that uh jess is sure looks familiar just can't place it uh, nothing is impossible though trish has learned to stop using that word around uh, Jess, and then we get a collect call from Northeastern Correctional Facility. Hope has changed her mind. Jaron has uh, been able to get through to her. She's going to take the deal. She's tired. She wants it to be over. She could uh, finish her degree in the time that she's behind bars, that she's made her decision. She just thinks that uh, Jess would want to know. And Jess tells her what's up, that she's got Kilgrave here, that he is her prisoner, that she's so close. Don't let him off the hook for what he did to you, for what he did to us. And Hope takes it. Sisterhood, man. Sisterhood working together. Uh, And then speaking of Freud, Matt, and all decisions being what the mind wants – Jess steps on that photo. Uh, and that, of course, marring the picture, and that gives her a thought of of what? Well, in the next scene, uh, that's explained to us. She's meeting with Malcolm. He's tried to get the survivors group together, but not everyone. Um, with that, uh, by the way, great diner location. Uh, it's somewhere Ford in Square Queens. Square diner, man, yeah. Um, but uh, Malcolm makes a little joke as they sit down. Um, speak at will, no one is controlling this. And at first I thought it was in bad taste. And then I said to myself, you know, I'm lucky that I've never been to, never needed to go to, you know, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, uh, Narcanon, any of these kind of survivor group type meetings. You know, I've never, I've never needed to go to one. And the fact that you can make a little joke that is the inside community can have a chuckle at, I think is probably something that goes on at at those places, you know? Malcolm's a genuine enough character at this point that we can definitely take it and and understand it's not made 
in jest, but truly a, a serious one. Um, so this support group and the the one man starts to talk about accountability and uh, the woman comes in at this point that Jess is looking for. And I love how Jess shuts him down. Dude, you lost the jacket. Move on. And uh, as this lady who I believe is identified to the group uh, as Betty, as she arrives, hey, Pete, her face is marked the way the boot print picture was. Oh, that's the connection. And then it gets spelled out. That poor woman is Kilgrave's mother. Yes. So Malcolm chases Jess out of the diner. It's a great exchange between the two of them to cap that previous scene that you've got to go back in there that uh, you've got to help the group. That's your superpower. And I think in a less able uh, actress, that would come off as a little silly, but that that is how he can contribute. You know, Pete, it was said once... Are you that- saying that Callista Flockhart wouldn't deliver that line with the same earnest verve? Her voice might, her face cannot. <laughs> um, and if you ha- if you haven't seen Supergirl, delightful show, lovely show, not terribly deep, but de- definitely te- uh, just wonderfully, uh, uh, I don't know, effervescent. It's, yeah, it's it's everything that this show is not. <laughs> That's true. Down to the the, I don't know the the the, the Jaron Hogarth would be a kickoff. A kickoff, a kick-ass uh, head of Catco. Maybe, maybe they need the crossover, and they need her as Cat uh, Grant's consigliere. Uh, if only, if only. Um, but with that, Pete, we cut to Albert packing up. Uh, there's the rather hackneyed line, in my opinion, as Jessica gets there, knocks the door down. You know, they they think he has come for uh that she rather has come on orders of Kilgrave. uh no she's there on her own on, on her own will then there's the, the one line in the episode i didn't like you may have named him kevin but you made him Kilgrave, pete yeah i love the hi daddy you know they're they're packing up they never should have stopped moving but it was louise's grief here she insisted on joining the ghoulish um, group here uh, to torture herself and, and we get the the interplay Jess is clearly bent with these two only to come to learn that like everything else Kilgrave lies he manipulates and that the mother is racked with guilt the father is racked with guilt for the mother trying to keep her going and explaining everything that went on here, that uh, they had to do this. Their son had a, um, a degenerative disease. They were using uh, a virus to repair his, uh, his DNA that, uh, you know, they carried out every childish demand, including the tantrum that resulted in her taking the iron to her face. Certainly shades there of the Twilight Zone episode, uh, It's a Good Life. And uh, with that bit of backstory, you know, it's funny, Pete, because it their version still doesn't explain the footage of multiple 
children being experimented on, but we somehow are ready to believe them, probably because we know Kilgrave so well and are so predisposed to disbelieve him. Um, we know it was different labs, too, so there's no definitive answer whether it was always them. There, there was a man speaking Mandarin Chinese, so I doubt it was this couple. Fair enough. But uh, Jessica kind of underlines the thrust of the scene. Here's your chance to help. The irresponsible parents are going to see their son. Pete, it sure is nice that they were all in New York City for this. Yeah, that that it worked out that way. But they knew when they heard about this poor girl, Hope, that it had to have been Kevin. We cut at this point, Pete, to Detective Clemens getting a text about the where and the when and the what's being done to Kilgrave. Uh, a bit mysterious as to who's sending it, although I like I like this bit of mystery and how it pays off. Uh, we move to Trish watching Kilgrave. Catch the catch the address. I did not. Well, six 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 Second Ave in Brooklyn, Matt would have been a bridge too far. This was five six six. Ah, there we go. You know, Pete, I. The, there's a there's a stage thing on Broadway that talks about lot six six six, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, we move to Trish, who is uh, watching Kilgrave. She takes out a gun, um, and my question in my notes is: But how do you get close enough to him to shoot him, given his powers? Uh, instead, Pete, it, this actually the function of this little scene, there this little moment anyway, is a Chekhov's gun scene. It is to establish that she has her gun and her gun is with her. Pete, that means it's going to get used later in the episode. Did not even see that one coming because I was so wrapped up in the in, in the mystical storytelling of this uh, of this episode. The button, and for me, the idea that glass has to be bulletproof made that a true twist for me and and the two shots that eventually ring off before they finally go in um you know i i I loved that they were able to to twist you with that um and here comes jess here comes hogarth and things are about to get serious Though in this moment where Trish steps out for some air and Jerry is there, Jerry says she's listening and the smile on Kilgrave's face, it's, it's, it's shark-like and it suggests that he's won, which is all the better because he in fact does not win, uh, at least in this notion, oh, Jerry's going to go in there and, and, you know, be seduced by his words. Uh, Trish outside, she calls Simpson, finding out that he's okay. Uh, Kozlov is the guy after all. Um, he he is uh, he he does what he does, um, but will she promise not to get uh, involved? She doesn't. Well, her response isn't even to respond. She just simply hangs up on him, Pete. Yeah, and Kozlov explains that Simpson is responding well to the meds. Simpson says it feels like old times. Give me a red. And he he gets a red. It's the reds to get him up. Oh, he had a red this morning. Oh, that's true. Okay, you can't. You, we've altered the protocol, Matt. After Damascus, where's Damascus, Matt? What is it the capital capital of? Uh, Syria. Uh huh. That's not in the news at all right now. Ah, uh, a little bit. Uh, but wait, Pete, that's been in the news more recently than we were meant to believe. Simpson uh, had. Since left the for the 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 military, 
Well, I mean, it's been a several year civil war. So the idea that he could have served spec ops is how you have to say that is the exact uh, spec ops has to be a little growl in your voice. (laughs) Um, You know, having served in in that theater, uh, you know, whatever these reds, these whites, I'm not going to worry about the blues because they bring you down, Um, whatever they are. Uh, getting you up, keeping you even for what we'll talk a little later. Well, and it's only in looking at the words on the paper here, or at least the, on the screen, we have reds, whites, and blues, you know, boy, oh boy, if that's not, if, that, if that's not the, 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 the pill cocktail to keep a, a good American soldier going. Um, but with Kozlov, they make gone, you see stars. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Spangled stars, if you will. Uh, but with Kozlov gone, Simpson takes a bunch of reds and clearly, clearly likes it. Yeah. Um, you know, again, we, we talk about unfurling this in this episode and, and where it's going to go at this point. We'll just have to wait and see um, that we go back to the Sinbin, the hermetically sealed chamber there. And the discussion about uh, what to do. Do we, uh, you know, uh, go in and Hogarth is just about to, uh, you know, let the wheel go on that second door. There's a, there's a great narrative flourish. All right, let's, let's make a room. Great, you just make a door. And that there's an inner chamber, um, like somewhere you might put somebody – from some communicable disease to change out of your uh, environmental suit or whatever, but it, it allows this delicious moment here. And then a little bit later when Jess is trying to get in there to save the father before he stabs himself uh, for her to hesitate when everybody comes back into the, um, the building. And Pete, this is where I will start to concede to you the the darkness that Jerry is capable of, you know, whether she's headed on the path of villainy or not, this might be a step towards it because she's got to know at this point that that this guy well could be powered. She's seen Jessica. She knows that these powered people are out there in a much more immediate way than those Avengers that are downtown and that are international and all of that. And the fact that she's so close to just saying, I'll give him what he needs. Can't he go talk to Wendy and say, boom, divorce paper signed, the end. She knows it's a deal with the devil, but she's about to pull it. And uh, with her pulling back, um, Jessica starts the camera. Mom and dad arrive. um, And there's kind of the confirmation to Jerry, but I think also a little bit of an underlining moment to the episode that they aren't the mad scientists that he claimed they were. Yeah, there's this moment with the mom having her hand on the glass and Kilgrave puts his up too. Jessica, of course, scoffs at this. And then uh, we get the switch there that, uh, you know, Hogarth talks about how this is a risk. Um, They're going to go in, though. The wife tells Albert that it's their responsibility. And who shows up but Clemens? drawing down on everybody which would have been goofy if not for the fact that clearly jessica has invited him here she's forcing his hand to see this 
reveal of Kilgrave's powers, and then he's there, and then we up the ante even more. Trish now has a gun on him. Let's give him something to witness. Pete, this is the most number of of uh, cast members that we've we've had from this show in the same room at the same time, whether it's cast, whether it's recurring, whatever it might be. Fascinating to have all these players in one room, particularly as Jessica lets mom and dad into the ante room. You had to know it just was not going to go to plot. And that's where they've got their setup down the road clearly in mind. Mom and dad go in and we have this heartfelt exchange here. Um, despite the fact that uh, Clemens gets, uh, you know, drawn down on by Trish and uh, Hogarth is going to call 911 that we move to the point where the mom is asking uh, Kilgrave if he's had enough to eat <laughs> and uh, that he explains that he had to make people give him food, but the dad calls bollocks on it, Matt. Yeah, it's it's effective to see Kilgrave's point of view of all of this and the notion that he was alone and as you said Pete he had to compel people to feed him to clothe him that would still have had him be terribly alone in a childhood where he would have been acutely aware that these this attention he's receiving is not with the emotion behind it uh he even states that he's proud he's saved children but that seems hollow too um and I love that we then hop back outside this um this uh little prison cell of his uh detective clemens ready to play ball in order to wrap this up uh i think it's you know we'll, we'll, we'll call it uh, resisting arrest as opposed to uh, obstruction and so on and so forth but jessica declares not just for him but for we the audience it's not over yet uh and then that's when we see mom reaching in for those scissors and she stabs him and again jessica says setting up the rule of threes it's not over yet yeah the the tension that builds here and uh we got him but the button matt Chekhov's button fired a couple times and we hit it again and again but it won't work it shorts out and she begins to stab herself everybody starts to run hogarth picks up a gun from the floor and runs away. Uh, Clemens just wants to get out of there. You know, the cop loses it the most, I think. Um, but don't just stand there, Dad. You pick up the scissors and, uh, you know, it's it's Jessica to the door. Uh, Trish is, uh, you know, worried, not the dad to, and this is when she takes her gun and shoots, finally getting through the glass and hitting Kilgrave in the shoulder. And what's nice is that does not come off as a cheap way to spring him. That does not come off at all that way. Uh, she is earnest in that moment that all I have to do is shoot him and, and, and kill him, and that's it. And it's been set up enough in the episode, this idea that she's the one that's going to have to take responsibility and bear the burden of this death. Um it is, of course, in retrospect, a reason to get him out of that little cell. 
Um, and he's just a whirlwind on his way out. Put a bullet in your head, Patsy. Click, click. She's out of bullets. Follow me, detective. He yanks his hand out of the cuffs. I mean, we see, uh, you know, skin torn. It's probably, you know, joint damage and thumb damage and all of that. Uh, Jessica catches up with him and we see in real time that she's not as uh, willing to follow what he says. Um, and then there's that slow replay. She's not doing it. I love that they slow time down here yeah. where it's just this lingering let go of me. And you see her hand, you see her hand, you see her hand. And then his reaction, which was not included at all in the, the full speed first time presentation where he just looks at her and realizes um, and the she realizes too she's free to Reva helps to further cement that. Um, and the inclusion of her name with every command, get back here, Jessica. Uh, now Jessica almost Matt, like he's got to expend a little bit more effort for Ooh. her. Certainly, uh, certainly a delicious theory. And, uh, certainly we end despite all the loss in this episode, we end with, uh, kind of hope of, uh, well, ho- hope of her finding more freedom in the future. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start, as we often do, with Kilgrave. The further humanization, but here, having him in a tight spot, in ankle-deep water, everything there, yet he still slithers like a snake. And David Tennant has just brought such a malevolence at the same time, a, a tortured nature to this role. I appreciate too that he's had so much interaction with the other characters, with our hero, and so forth. Uh, it's almost making me look back on Daredevil in a slightly different light, where the pacing was a little bit more uh, uh, steady in that series. Whereas with this, it's it's a smaller world, so that there's characters bouncing off each other, and, and I like it. There's kind of a there's a kinetic energy to how Kilgrave interacts with these other characters that I really, really enjoy. Pete, next on your list, I'm sure, is Hogarth. I I guess I have to include her too, given that she she was all set to open that door and and as I said earlier, to make a deal with the devil, knowing full well that it might it might blow back poorly on her, but feeling that's her way to to reestablish control over the situation. I still continue to feel sympathy for her, even though I am in no way predicting that she's gonna end out end up as a nice person. Um, I just I have sympathy for her. Uh, I have this sympathy, but that she's continually looking for leverage out of this. You do see the oh, I I shouldn't have said that, Wendy. That was bad. But that's almost more of oh, you you caught me being mean here. Now I'll backpedal that. That she too slithers out of this situation, that she grabs a firearm. How many lawyers are going to put their prints on a gun and runs from this? Now, obviously, that's in case she comes across Kilgrave. But if they come close to close, close to close, face to face here in a, in a closed setting, she's got a gun in her hand. And that's not going to end well. P, 
Pete, let's talk about the culpability of uh, of the parents here. That they participated in these experiments. Yes, there is ultimately the explanation: their child had a degenerative disease. But they they would seem to be in league, if not with those other experiments, doing them themselves, with other scientists who were doing this, it doesn't pass the sniff test. All of these children couldn't all have had a degenerative situation where they were doing this. The crying, the experimentation, that's torture. And uh, though Kilgrave seems to have lied about it, it's never just the way it seems. I like that in addition to the 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 Simpson Kozlov stuff we we have here too kind of a new mystery whether we chew over it, chew uh chew it over in the next four episodes or in future uh future storytelling venues I guess time will tell. Well at least dad's still alive. Cryptology where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, where should we start? Let's start with those other kids, Matt. One of them, uh, Chinese, some Mandarin being spoken. Uh, Stitches look like to the abdomen. Where is Black Sky? Pete, it's a big mystery to me. To me, it doesn't fit. I'm not complaining, but it doesn't fit with the the very close-knit narrative, the, the Hell's Kitchen narrative that we've seen in Jessica Jones, heck, that we've seen in Daredevil as well. Uh, though they shoot in uh, Queens primarily and and in Brooklyn, uh, the notion that we haven't left a, a relatively small neighborhood in uh, in Hell's Kitchen, New York, on on uh, Manhattan Island, that's kind of omnipresent. So this kind of larger larger world. Well, Pete, I'm, I'm reminded of Madame Gao in Daredevil, but that was kind of heroin and that was kind of magicy. So I'm I'm at a loss thus far. How about the little girl there with the legs? Could this be, are these inhumans? Are these enhanced uh, people? Obviously, this has reared its head quite a bit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe over the last little bit. I continue to be unsure how to read the approach of these Netflix shows to how much they want to integrate into the films into the live action stuff i don't know if at some of these meetings netflix is saying whoa 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 we are not an equal we're not an equal banana nor a second banana to uh your your live to your you know stuff on abc we're a different fruit entirely we're a different thing we're netflix we're the future we don't you know blah 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 so let's let's dial back having colson and may come with uh the agent carter tie-in and like let's just cool this and have it be more self-contained that's what it's been for 13 episodes of daredevil and nine episodes of jessica jones for the most part aside from the rare mention of the big green guy and the day the aliens attacked and all of that this is something different though and uh i don't know i just don't know i'm i'm mystified and uh and interested but but at a loss Kozlov and his meds, the reds, the whites, the blues. Matt, what do you think's going on there? That I expect more of a payoff because that is a direct character who's been an integral part of this show, albeit uh, you know not part of the pilot. 
um, that I feel like we're headed towards something. Um, uh, you know, it's this again, it's this question, how integrated are we going to be with other things? There's this big movie event that's going to happen in in a handful of months, you know, what, seven months, six months, uh, probably even less than that. Now that I do do the math. Um how much do they want to set up towards Civil War? How much are they maybe setting up something that Daredevil is going to riff off of? Something that might be referenced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know this much. We're going to have an end to this Simpson arc in this season and, and hopefully some sort of resolution there. It's too too delicious a mystery and too big a mystery of them saying, I want back and do this. And we're going to make reference to the Damascus situation and all of that. It bears pointing out, Matt, still no renewal on Jessica Jones. So uh, it took Daredevil 11 days to get the renewal. That is the quickest that Netflix has ever done that. Um, Jessica Jones, certainly a lot of buzz, quite possibly even better reaction. I think a lot of that is, is given the performance and the subject matter, but uh, still waiting on that renewal. So... We'll just have to see. Yeah, I think it's difficult to tell what methodology Netflix uses. I mean, for all we know, there was a handshake agreement. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna renew it, but we're gonna wait until we announce it before this. Or it's like who knows what they do is so mysterious and so outside the predictive norm uh, for their you know for, for for similar situations for broadcast TV that you can just hope there's more. You can just assume there's more. But you can't bet there's more until it's announced. Let's check our mail drop and see what you have to say. Pete, what do you got for us? We have one iTunes review, Matt. This comes from Dr. Strange Lover. Uh, the headline is Best Marvel TV Podcast Crew Out There, Five Stars. And it reads... I have listened to every Marvel TV podcast and believe me, there's a lot of crap out there and can honestly say Matt and Pete are the best crew in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unlike other podcasts, they don't waste time with unprofessional minutiae or stuff that should otherwise be edited out leaving you with a bloated show as many as four times the size of the episode watched. <laughs> Matt and Pete also produce content at a comfortable rate, especially for binge casting. Their Jessica Jones podcast is the, all caps, must-listen companion to Marvel's latest hit. If you listen to any other podcast with your Marvel, you're just doing it wrong. Wow, that is that is I feel humble to hear that. We we spend a lot of time Pete and I do off mic talking about are we putting out what we the kind of show we'd want to listen to? Are we putting out the kind of podcast that that is hitting what we think people expect time-wise but but depth but not too in depth. So it is incredibly gratifying. Uh, to 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 hear that and that that certainly means a lot especially this busy time of year where 
you know, we're, we did a Star Wars preview episode last night, Pete. We're, you know, it's going to be a Star Wars episode after seeing the movie uh, later this weekend. Still cranking along well, with Jessica Jones. after you Jones. see the movie. Well, pardon me. After, you, after we both have seen it, that is to say. Um, so, you know, plus it's just the busy holiday stuff. But it's so fun getting together to talk about this stuff with you, Pete, and knowing that there's the third the, 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 it, it, it's you and me and the audience doing it, and uh, I'm, I'm truly grinning from ear to ear from uh, Dr. Strange Lover's words. Thank you, Dr. Strange Lover. Well, Pete, hopefully we get uh, some more iTunes reviews along the way for Can You Believe It? The remaining four episodes of the Jessica Jones podcast by Fantastic Geek season one um and uh, of course as aforementioned if you're listening to this on the pop culture podcast feed that gets everything we do jessica jones agents of shield agent carter daredevil uh and you know there's this movie about i don't know space pirates or something coming out that that pete said we should go see um what's that ice pirates ice pirate oh it's i thought they were in space i misunderstood anyhow um We'll be podcasting that, too, in the Pop Culture Podcast feed. But, Pete, let's wrap things up as we always do. If people want to be in touch with you, how can they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,811 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the P-H. And we're under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, and the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. There has been a literal surge, Matt, to Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word. We've gotten a whole bunch of... Uh, I don't like likers, so I'm going to call them friends uh, in the past couple days. So please, uh, and and let's have more Jessica Jones discussion there. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. discussion has been uh, very fruitful. There's been a lot of uh, people talking back and forth. Let's get on there and talk about what, you know, is pretty substantive show. <laughs> Incredibly substantive, it certainly is, so... Pete, glad to hear that the discussions are going on there and uh, that uh, with this. Uh, Pete, is it really two weeks left or so for Jessica Jones? Four episodes. That's what that means. Four episodes plus a wrap up. We're, we're in the home stretch here. It's insane. Um, we're but, just about there, man. It's, it's, it's been a ton of fun and uh, we'll be, of course, continuing things uh, with Agent Carter in, uh, in January and uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. again in March. And presumably Daredevil in April. Just the, the the party keeps on going, but this party, Pete, is wrapping up for today. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Don't see Eric crying when he goes in the sink.